All right, well, welcome to another episode of The Bible Guys. My name is Rick Kleinard, and I'm joined here with Jerry Hollinger. Jerry, how are you? Rick, I'm doing great. Good to see uh, you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Uh, last episode, I talked about my bracket. Um, what I tell you, I said I was going to be not in first place the next time, and it is true. Um, yeah, uh, some weird things have happened. Yeah, man, it was a it was a tough. Uh, did you? Did, I just recently, now the airing of this episode or the, the recording of this episode um, yesterday was the UCLA and um, Alabama game. Did you say? Did you watch that? I watched the first half of that with my son, but I don't know how it ended up. Well, UCLA took it in overtime because Alabama went like, I mean, horrible on free throws. It, I, they, if they'd have made their free throws, they'd have won the game. Oh, wow. Um, so you're saying UCLA won. Yeah, UCLA won. And every high school basketball coach now has um, weaponry to say, guys, practice your free throws because look what happened. Yeah. Exactly uh, so it was, right. it, it was just like that. Um, nice. Matter of fact, there's one of the guys, it went to overtime because um, the Alabama player shot I mean, he shot a three from long distance. It was just dead on swish, but then he didn't make his free throws like in the overtime. He couldn't, he couldn't hit a free wow. throw. So it's just amazing the way the game goes. So it is. I'm second place now, it isn't like I'm going to win that day off, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, today our discussion um, kind of comes from a, it's a question that's kind of been a, a group of different questions that have come up. Um, we get them. I get them both in person. We also get them in email. And remember, you can submit all questions through our email address. And that's BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Because there's this, um, I don't think it's a new thing. It's just getting a lot of steam right now mm -hmm. of uh, you see famous people who, you know, identify as Christians or, you know, people who have grown up in the church and they're now coming out on social media and saying that they no longer identify as a Christian. Now, mm -hmm. some of that could be they don't like the term um, Christian. They'd rather use Christ follower. And that's more of an issue of semantics. Um, but there are some who are saying, because of my understanding or what I'm struggling with, what I'm seeing um, in Christianity, and then even in my struggles in the faith, I can no longer say that, that I am a Christian in the biblical sense. So mm -hmm. I thought we would talk about because that's a difficult question and maybe even takes multiple podcasts to talk about, but maybe even just start in this podcast about looking at that argument as a whole and, and all that's involved in it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple yeah, different. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, as you just hinted at there, there are a ton of things going on here. And when somebody comes out and says that, I mean, there isn't, there isn't a one-size-fits-all here. There are numerous things playing together and numerous reasons somebody would even say this. So there are a lot of possibilities going on here, and, and maybe we can hit on some of these, and as you said, maybe we can revisit this later. Yeah, and to our listeners, we are not meaning to have you use this podcast to win a t Twitter beef. That's not what this is about. We, we think that I mean, I personally think that genuine conversation with the person and showing them you care and you're listening, that's going to go a long way than having any kind of well-thought-out argument. But I thought we would just kind of hit on some points of what's in being involved in this topic. Um, so a couple of things here. First, um, I got this once um, from a person about this. They said, well, there's nothing you can do to uh, lose your salvation. But they said, but you could choose to forfeit your salvation. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that the person I was speaking to used the passage in John 10 that says that where Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of the father's hands. However, you can choose to jump out for lack of a better term if you wanted to. And so maybe we could talk about that one, uh, that passage in John chapter 10 first. Yeah. It's, you know, it's almost ironic that people appeal to that text, which to me shows the lack of evidence for the position. When you have to go to a text that exegetically clearly says you cannot lose your salvation and then impose on that an exception, that just shows how weak the case actually is, uh, in my opinion. Right. And in that passage in John chapter 10, we're looking at verses, um, I'm going to start in verse 27, where Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. Uh, so yeah, you're, that's meant to give a, a comfort. And I'm going to use the term, we've talked about this on a podcast before. I like to use the word preservation of, of hmm. the saints, that, that, that it's not about anything I do, that, that this is something that God has done. We mentioned this on a previous podcast and that I'm safe in that. Um, mm -hmm. There's nothing I can do and there's nothing anyone else can do um, to, to discredit that. Yeah. I think it's another point to bring in. And I, I would kind of conflate John and Paul here is is really, and I'm, I'm trying to say this nicely, but it's almost a, a very weak understanding of the nature of what salvation is. If you read Johannine theology, you know, particularly you look in chapter six, and then what uh, John says, Jesus said in chapter 10, and then you bring in Paul's theology of salvation, to say that you would be capable of undoing what God has done really shows a lack of appreciation for what salvation actually is at its core. It's something God does for you. And it's something he planned from eternity past. And he has brought you the, to the place where you respond in faith to him. And then as Paul elaborates in Romans, you know, this whole thing involves this declaration of being declared righteous. So regardless of what your thinking is at this point in time, uh, issues that may have come up for you, God has set down a legal decision that he has declared you righteous. He is going to save you, uh, not in the, you know, C.S. Lewis misunderstanding that he's going to drag you kicking and screaming into the kingdom, but, but God has planned to rescue you, to save you. And this is all God's work. This is not something that we can undo, you know, perhaps in, you know, sort of a hissy fit that we're displeased with God at the moment. Uh, salvation is of the Lord. It's something that he does. And it's something that he keeps us in. And um, so, I, you know, I, I think a lot of this is a misunderstanding of the nature of salvation. Right. And with that question, like another part of this conversation that's come up recently is the uh, a parallel passage in First John, specifically chapter two, and um, where it talks about the false teachers. And so some of this conversation that I've gotten is they've asked me, hey, Pastor Rick, is 
would we even say people who have deconstructed their faith and said they no longer identify as Christians, would we say they, they were a Christian and then they lost it? Or were they not even Christians in the first place? And then they would use this passage in First John where it says, and I'm reading out of verse uh, 18 of chapter 2, says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. And so they would use that passage to say, well, because they left, because they deconstructed, um, doesn't that prove that they weren't even Christians in the first place? Yeah, I think that's important to bring out. And, and that kind of illustrates what we said at the beginning about there being different, different categories here. I think there are people that leave the faith, that apostatize from the faith, however you want to put it, and that is evidence that they were never saved in the first place. So that that is definitely a possible category for people. Um, and then on the other hand, as, as I was kind of alluding to a moment ago, I think there are other Christians that just frankly get put out with God. I mean, I've been mad at God before. Um, there have been times I've wanted to just, man, I just like to walk away from this or man, if this is how God's going to treat me, I don't want anything to do with God. Or maybe I've fallen on, into some false teaching, or maybe I've come across some evidence that apparently argues against Christianity and my faith is weak. And I think, man, I don't think this makes any sense anymore. So there are a lot of categories of possibility here. And I agree with you, according to the John passage, one possibility is they were never saved in the first place. Yeah. And I like how you said that just a minute ago, that even that everybody, maybe I shouldn't say it that way, that our Christ, at times we as Christians who, who are truly believers in Christ, we go through these moments. Sure. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, one of our favorites, would call that from his book, Spiritual Depression. We get in those dark places. Right. And, and we have to work and talk through them. And um, there are times where we struggle and you've said it, there's times you were angry. I mean, I remember uh, at a time in my life where God had just done something that I just wasn't getting. And I remember make outside in my yard, talking to him, just saying, God, I love you. I just don't like you right now for what you've done. Mm -hmm. um, and there are those times where we, we get as Christians, I don't get this. I don't understand. Um, and so that brings up a good point. So I think there is a philosophical component to this argument that, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times when, when evil, specifically gratuitous, persistent, rampant evil occurs, it, it is a time when we begin to question what, what kind of God would allow that, what kind of God would be okay with this, and even if he exists at all. And again, that's the discussion of Theodicy, the problem of evil, as many works have been done to discuss this. Um, and during this time, I have to be honest, while we're here, uh, I'm not sold out on a lot of the theodicies that are put out by our, I'm just going to say it, by a lot of our popular apologists. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, the, the, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is the, the greater good theodicy. Um, that everything that happens, there's a greater good behind it. Um, and we may never know what it is, but there's, there's a reason, there's a purpose. Um, mm -hmm. while I get it, 
I'm not so sure. I think that's the best definition. Um, I'm more of a, um, I think it's, yeah, it's Bruce Little's book. Um, he's a professor at Southeastern. He's uh, actually used to be a pastor here in the area where we're from here in North Carolina. And um, he, his book called If God, Why Evil? And he, he espouses what he calls a creation order theodicy, where the, basically boils down to God is the creator. I'm the creature. Um, I may never know why he does what he does. And he does, he never owes me an explanation. Um, and I think that for me is the more honest theodicy. That's kind of where I'm hang, hanging my hat right now. Yeah. I gave up on theodicy a long time ago and clearly there's, there's an issue with evil in the world. And I went, you know, when I started this journey, I started with Augustine and, and read everywhere I could. And I just came to the conclusion I don't think there really is an answer to this that we can know right now. And I, and I agree with everything you've said. And so I've ceased trying to give an explanation of this and just come to the opinion that there is an infinite distance between creature and creator. And I kind of rest, you know, if we have a kind of a Bible explanation to all this, it would be in Job where, in fact, we don't have an explanation mm-hmm. because Job is perturbed with God. I mean, he's, he's upset through the whole thing. And finally, God sits him down at the end of the book and says, you know, who are you to question me? Because essentially, Job has been saying, I don't like how you, you're running the universe. And God never explains the why. He just said, look at the great difference between us. You're either going to accept it and worship me or, you know, go do something else. And um, I wonder, I mean, I'm not positive of this, but I wonder if sometimes we as Christians do more damage than good when we try to offer explanations that don't, don't make sense rather than just saying, you know, I can't explain this. And maybe it's probably good sometimes to turn the tables and say, well, how do you explain this in, in your worldview? Um, but anyway, that, that's just kind of the position I've come to. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's a, a legitimate reason to leave Christianity. I think we've just hit a wall on this, my opinion. I think it, the way we've some, often held up this idea of the problem of evil, um, we've almost made it a legitimate reason when it's really not. Um, so yeah. like, for example, to say, like you said, and, and I would even add to that, you never see in Job, God set Job down and say, Hey, listen, I know the last few months or years, however long it was, it was tough. Let me tell you what happened. And then kind of, he pulls back the curtain and shows Job why he never does. Um, and I've even heard people, for, for example, if I'm going to follow the greater good theodicy, um, I've actually listened even as a young person, not a Christian, um, listen to the story of Job and the way the teacher taught it was at the end when they got, when he got all of his stuff back, even more children, uh, it was almost taught as if now look at, look at, look at where Job is now. It's so much better than he was before. I'm like, and I'm a little kid going, didn't he lose some kids? Uh, Yeah. Right. do Do you really think that Job is over here going, I don't even, I don't even miss those kids. Are you kidding me? Those are, those are, 
I picture Job wearing those scars for the rest of his life and, mm-hmm. and never getting an answer. And, and that's, in my opinion, is why the problem of evil properly taught isn't a legitimate reason because of what it points to. Um, it, the problem of evil points me to a place where someday evil won't be. And mm-hmm. that brings me hope. Um, the idea of, of living in a, in a world, living in a, 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 with Christ, where all those things that were caused by evil, it's not a thing anymore. It, it just pushes mm-hmm. me towards that. It almost gives me a taste for it more um, because of what's mm-hmm. happening. So, for example, as a counselor, I shy, away, I shy away from the greater good when dealing with, with a, victims of any kind of trauma uh, because while it may be accurate, it, it's not the counseling room is not the place for it. What I hope to get the, the person to understand, is any, anybody I'm talking to, is to understand God is still in control no matter what happened. God's, mm-hmm. God's in control in the midst of your trauma. God's in control in the midst of your hurt. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make it go away, but, but that's what it is. That's what life is in a sin-cursed world because um, it, it's meant to whet our appetite and point us towards that, that, that day when he's going to set all things right and make all things new. Yeah, and I would, I would add to that. I hope I'm not misunderstood. I'm not saying there isn't a reason. And I'm not saying that God doesn't have a plan in all this. I mean, I, like you, would assert that God is absolutely sovereign over suffering and evil. I'm just not in on exactly what he's doing. And he has not been pleased at this point to tell us. So I I think we have to come to a juncture where we respect the silence of God and realize, as you said earlier, he is not obligated to to tell us everything. Um, so I think it's important we're not, you know, denying any of that that kind of thing. It's just God hasn't let us in on, and um, yeah, it, it's it's a hard problem. And man, we could give stories mm-hmm. of people, and sometimes when I listen to people try to do theodicy, I'd love to sit them down. And give them some concrete. Are you actually aware of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's a. I'm, I'm on board with you. And I would say that those who are in that place right now, the deconstruction of their faith, it, it may be that they are facing an issue like this. Maybe they've they faced a hurt. Uh, we you know we know of people who, um, because of the the death of a loved one, maybe a spouse or a child have have, and let's say rightfully so. We, or let's say understandably so, let, let that pain take them to a place where they begin to go, what are you doing? Which is, which is understandable. Um, but then there's also sometimes I would say the pressure, we have to be careful for those of us who are Christians and we're seeing people going through that faith deconstruction and we're quick to just judge. Um, we, we are quick to assume, oh, you're just caving into the pressure of the world. And well, and that may be, there may be some who have said, you know, you know, this is too much pressure um, to, to be at my job or to be a, around my circle of friends or influences. I, I can't be so dogmatic on this. I have to back up a bit. Um, we, that, those are situations where, sh- where sure happens. But to say that everybody who's ever wrestled like this is there is, is a mistake. We, part of deconstructing faith that's happening right now is, is the logical 
I'm going to use that term, um, working out of living in a sin-cursed world and not having all the answers, being a creature and not the creator, um, where we would, we, we would hopefully encourage people to have one-on-one conversations with, with men and women who are, are struggling with this rather than just grouping them all in one lump and just judging them. Yeah, that, that's a great point. One which we've been trying to make throughout. You know, if we, if we look at it from somebody's perspective who maybe has no Christian background, no biblical understanding at all, they hear the gospel through a friend or something, they trust Christ, but they have no yet foundation. And um, I mean, I know even, you know, I've been a Christian for decades, and I can sit down and listen to a bunch of atheist podcasts and be thinking to myself, wow, that's a good point. Wow. <laughs> you know, or, or some textual critic, critic of the New Testament saying you can't trust the Bible because there are all these errors in manuscripts and everything. That takes you aback a moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've not studied Christianity and its claims and its evidences, yeah, you're going to be swayed some. And, you know, as you point out, maybe all of your acquaintances, all of your friends are pagans. And that's the whole worldview you've been involved in. So, you know, that, that's a good point about being patient and being patient. And it shows the importance of the church in discipling people and also discipling them in a way that's relevant to the culture in which we live so that those kinds of issues can be discussed uh, within the church context. So, you know, maybe that's something even in the church we can learn from as to what we actually need to be dealing with. Yeah. And I think that's a real big part of the discipleship process. And we use that term, you know, you and I both, um, I don't want to age you on this, but uh, you're not significantly older, but you're older. Um, we both, our discipleship at the time was, man, here's a booklet, walk them through it. Um, where now we're starting to see, and, and even over the last 10 years, discipleship is walking with someone, doing life with them. Not just, hey, we're going to go play golf and call that discipleship. We're talking about like, right. hey, we, can, we can go play golf, but we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff. We're going to live life together. You're going to see me interact with my wife and my kids, and, and we're going to mm-hmm. encourage one another. We're going to maybe even rebuke one another when necessary. Um, the, the discipleship is, more, is less about a curriculum and more about what it looks like, what it, what it means to live out what we believe about Christ. Um, and so this is going to mean having those difficult conversations. So when, when my son comes up to me and says, dad, I don't really know. I really hope I've done enough. He says, I hope I've really done enough to, to, to be okay with God, even though he's heard the gospel and he's never been taught in our family that this is what the gospel is. And even in between me and my wife, we've never said, all right, if you do these good things, we'll love you more. And if you do these bad things, we'll love you less. Uh, there's nothing we've ever, hopefully that we've ever kind of communicate that, but it's something in the heart of this young man who thinks that's how it is. And so we've constantly have to be really encouraging the, you know, him, but also in mo- also kind of rebuking those wrong ideas when we see him, that that's not how God operates. God is not about your behavior. If the gospel was merely got uh, behavior modification, then it's just a cult, mm-hmm. but it's what the gospel is, is that, you know, just like it says in Titus, the gospel that was revealed to us, it also trains us to do these things. So it's, it's all those things together. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwelling us changes us from the inside out. 
um, these are things we, we constantly have to be teaching and, and walking through these mm -hmm. tough conversations and tough questions. And that it has to be proactive. I mean, like if we have high school kids in our church and they're going off to university, I mean, we better be proactive in, you know, buttressing their faith for the kinds of questions they're going to be assaulted with. And many times by a professor trying to absolutely humiliate them. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the onus really falls on the church. Yeah. In this too. Yep. Well, uh, as always, we appreciate your questions. You can always email us um, these questions at our email address. That's bobbleguyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at bobbleguyspod. Um, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified when new content comes out. We release content every Friday at 8 a.m. to help your commute go even better. Uh, for Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Kleiner. We'll see you next time.